Hello and welcome to Kelly McAtee Curated Content for the Busy from the context of the seven mind-molding mountains of cultural influence where we are seeking to be busy with the right things that fill our cup to overflowing because that not only nourishes ourselves but it overflows onto our households, communities, cities, states, and nation. For when the people thrive in the land, the whole land prospers. So today we're going to talk about from the faith mountain, and we are going to talk about how do I know the difference between God and Satan? And so we hear there's a lot of buzzwords out there and if you're in certain church cultures you'll hear um satan and demons you'll hear some of that verbiage and sometimes as somebody who is just trying to live life it's difficult to really discern the difference so we're going to get into some of that you know um we're living at a time where headlines and the news um, stories that are floating around out there are pretty overwhelming. There's there's suicide and sickness and debilitating accidents in our communities, and it's just really overwhelming. And um, I continually have a pressing in and a growing feeling that I want to say is that you matter. You are here for a reason. You are listening to this for a reason, and each one of us must get right before God before it's too late. The scriptures are pretty clear that there are times when God opens doors and closes doors. And the word says that when Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when he closes something, nobody can open it. And when he opens something, nobody can close it. And so we, it also says that Jesus knocks on everybody's door. Everybody, every single human, human who goes through this planet, Jesus knocks on on their door and he does so persistently and consistently but how does he do it he does it with his voice he knocks on the door of every single human's heart but it is not a knocking on the door like we might be used to that has a sound in the physical realm that has a sound in nature that's not the sound of Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts he does it with his voice so that means we have to know what is his voice what words does Jesus say versus everybody else you have to know what his voice sounds like in order to receive it, in order for there to be a connection point. Well, what does his voice sound like? And how do I know it's not just my own? How do I know it's not my sinful flesh? How do I know it's not Satan or a demon or the world? How do I know the difference? Well, there is one voice with one set of content that comes from the living God, one, and then everything else 
comes from the world, the prince of the power of the air, which is also Satan, um, Beliel, which is another word for Satan, um, our flesh, which is our sinful flesh that is just wrought with desires. So it takes no faith whatsoever to believe the lies of the flesh that tell you you're no good, that you don't measure up, that you're a terrible wife, a terrible mom, a terrible kid, a terrible basketball player, a terrible tennis player. It takes no faith to believe the condemning lies that come at us from ourselves or others or the world or even Satan himself. It takes faith to believe what God says about you, which he says, you are the apple of my eye. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are here for a reason. I have a purpose for you in your life. I have a call on your life. I have great and wonderful things set aside for you beyond what you can even imagine. For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God has in store for those who love him. That's incredible stuff. And we also know, according to his word, that what impresses him and what pleases him is faith. And so what is faith? Faith is assurance of something that you cannot see. So God has chosen to be invisible for a period of time. So we can see him. We can feel them all around, just like you can see the wind. You know it's there. You can kind of point to it. You can feel it, and you can certainly watch its effects around you. But you really cannot define it in a specific way. But God, but God can be defined we can see him moving about. We can see his effect on other people and the um, world around us. And we can define it and learn his voice in comparison to every other voice. And we can do so through his word because we live on this side of the cross. We live at a time where his word has been written down because he himself came as the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now all things were made by him and through him and for him. This is in John. This is in the first chapter of John. And then you go a little bit further around John chapter 1, around verse 14. And he says, and the word says, and the word became flesh and walked among us. And we looked upon his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is incredible. The one true living God, enthroned in heaven with all these unbelievable creatures guarding and protecting and worshiping him 
chose to be clothed in flesh, to leave that glorious throne and be born into the flesh of a baby, not in some worldly palace, not in some fancy neighborhood, but in a manger to a very poor little couple. And he chose to do all of that for you, to bring you to himself, to say, hey, I'm coming to meeting you where you are. I'm coming to live like you live, breathing, walking, talking, eating, having friends, having friends betray me, going to work, going to church, speaking up about the truth and having people hate me for it. He chose to come just like you and me, two legs, two arms, 10 toes, 10 fingers, two eyes, nose, mouth, ears, to talk to us in a way that we could hear and receive. And so all we need to do is slow down and lean in. Like, huh, there's some interesting things here. There are some things that I need to take a look at. And so he comes to every single one of us and he knocks on our door. And it's taken me a long time to really work on knowing his voice versus my flesh's voice, my own voice, my own desires, Satan's voice, the world's voice. All those messages are so loud. They are so loud. They are clamoring all the time. You need this. You need a bigger house. You need a better house. You need a cleaner house. You need a more organized house. You need a better job. You need to be thinner. You need to be bigger. You need to do this better. You need to not do that because that really bugs people. You need to, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Those loud, clamoring voices are so, in my mind, they were so loud at all times. And every once in a while, I would feel kind of deep in my core, this quiet voice that was soft and it was, but it was strong. And it was almost like it was buried under all those other loud voices. And it would say, you're enough. I see you. I love you just the way you are. You don't have to do all this stuff. And like, oh, well, that can't be right. <laughs> that voice can't be right. Because it doesn't agree with all these other voices saying you have to perform. You have to do more. You have to be more. You have to fill your calendar. You have to be the best mother and the best wife and um, the best dressed and um, the best, the best, the best. Like that doesn't make sense. That one voice is in total opposition to all the others. Well, guess what? That was the voice of God saying, slow down. None of this stuff matters. None of it. And so then I felt like the Lord took me on a path to start challenging 
everything in my whole world. Why I did certain things. Was I doing that to get the approval of men? Get the approval of myself? Am I trying to earn my way to heaven? And so I had to take every part of my life and lay it before the throne of God. Like, okay, God, what do you think about this that I do on a regular basis that wears my butt out? It's not enjoyable. It doesn't fill me up. It doesn't fill my cup. And so I have slowly, it's been probably about five years, and I'm slowly getting there. You know, so let things take time. That was a big message that I kept getting from my flesh and the enemy, the adversary, whatever you want to call them, the world, not God. We'll say that. All those messages were, oh, you got to hurry. You're out of time. You're out of time. You're out of time. You're out of money. You're out of resources. You're out of energy. You're out of everything. And I will never forget one time I felt like the Lord really dropped in my spirit. You know what? The only being out of time is Satan himself. If you're in me, if you're in Jesus, all you have is time because he is above time and you are in him. He is eternal. And he says in his word to believe in him, to acknowledge I am a sinner in need of a savior and that savior is Jesus and I say yes to him and his ways and his word then you are in him and he is in you and all you've got is time and I just read yesterday and I believe it's in John chapter 6 where they're all asking him well wait what's the good work of God and he says to believe in the one he sent and the one he sent was Jesus of Nazareth who walked on this planet, worked, had a family, had friends, had a ministry, out walking around. He was not far off. He was not off in some ivory tower. He was not, non, he was not unavailable, unapproachable. He was out among the people answering questions, talking to people encouraging them, building them up, healing them, showing them the way because he himself is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I know that's hard for us, especially at a time where we want a million and one ways to do things. But the word of God says, if you try and come in another way, that's being a thief. And so we actually want there to be only one way. That is actually good for us, that there is one way to the Father. That means that we can get really good at spotting the counterfeit. Jesus is the doorway. He is the gateway. He is the cornerstone. He is the way to the Father. He is the reconciliation. He is the Redeemer of all mankind. He is the one who came and walked the life, lived the life that you and I cannot live. He did it for us. He died the death that every single one of us deserve. 
every single one of us fall short of the glory of God. I don't care how good we think we are. I don't care how bad we think we are and everything in between. And all of this mess that we're dealing with here in the United States, all of the very clear corruption of our government, all the very clear, you know, um, things going on in our schools, all of the very clear things going on in our households, difficult marriages, um, unfaithfulness, all sorts of things, you know, drugs or, and alcohol and, um, you know, drunkenness of all kinds, um, shopping of all kinds, all this gluttony, you know, that we're experiencing um, in, especially in the United States, I can't speak for other places in the world, but, um, all of that stuff, there had to be a reconciliation because the soul of man is really a deep pit. It's really never satisfied. And I've experienced that for myself. There's no amount of shoes that I could have bought that ever satisfied me. I, this is true. Is this funny? And we can laugh about it now. Um, but I have a closet full of beautiful shoes that I don't wear because um, I've only got the two feet and my preference is to be in tennis shoes if at all possible and beautiful shoes. And there was a time when I, I can safely say I was obsessed. I love them. They are, I love to look at beautiful shoes. I love to buy beautiful shoes. And so there were times when there were other things that I needed to use my resources and my funds for. I used it for shoes. You know, and I look back and I'm like, wow, that was just really dumb. However, it's like I was intoxicated by them. Intoxicated by shoes. And you say it out loud now and it just sounds so silly. But it's true. And we all do it. Every single one of us has something that intoxicates us. It grabs a hold of our mind and our desire and it's like we are constantly doing mental gymnastics on, ooh, when can I go look at it? Ooh, when can I go look and search for shoes? Are shoes in and of themselves bad? No, I need them. And I do need a variety of them. Sometimes you dress up, sometimes you dress down. However, the issue is when it captivates you to such an extent that you are spending time, energy, resources, obsessing over a certain something. And that is what the Lord our God wants to see every one of us free from. So the living God likes free people, free environments. The word says in Corinthians, where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty, there is freedom. He, Jesus came to set the captives free, be free, over and over and over again in the Word of God. God is coming in and setting people free. God likes free will. He wants you to choose Him. He is never going to force you. Never is He going to force you. There is only one being that forces and enslaves, and that is Satan, the adversary. He likes slaves. He likes oppression. He likes force. He likes fear. And however he can do it, he can do it through positive means. However he can do it, he wants to enslave you and me. 
He is a slave maker. God is a slave freer. He sets the captives free. So how do we know if it's God or Satan? Well, do you feel freedom? Do you, when you are in a relationship with someone, do you feel free to be who you are, to speak the truth, to speak your mind? Now, if you don't feel free, there can be a lot of reasons as to why you don't. So for example, in my marriage, and I'm gonna get real candid, sorry, Mark. (laughs) In my marriage, there were times where I was putting on him emotions that he wasn't feeling. And I'd get so mad and be like, oh my gosh, you're so obviously, you know, I don't know, mad or annoyed or whatever. And he just would kind of look at me like, I'm really not. I'm like, well, you pressed your lips. (laughs) He's like, I did? I did what? Like, but I, whatever I was feeling in that moment was so powerful. And I was just sure that he was being tacky back to me. And so we have finally, we ended up having enough conversations over time. I've experienced him enough over time. Now he's got other stuff, but usually in those particular situations, he wasn't feeling what I was just sure he was feeling. And so we have to get to where we have really open and honest conversations, especially with those people that we love the most, that we live with, that we engage with the most. And we can just say, you know what? Um, I need to stop. I'm feeling like you're feeling this. And then let them have the opportunity to say what they are actually feeling. And sometimes people don't know, so sometimes we can help them flesh it out. But, and then when they tell you, believe them. That's one of the things like, well, I don't believe you. It took me a long time. And he just would look at me like, oh my gosh, I don't know if she's ever actually going to believe me that I'm not feeling, you know, mad about this issue. And so when people tell you they're feeling something, believe them until you've got evidence to the contrary. And the truth is, is that we as individuals, we gauge ourselves on our internal intentions and we gauge others by their outward behavior. So there can be a big disconnect there. So we'll let ourselves off the hook nine times out of 10 because maybe we intended. Let's take an example in my house. So when Mark and I were first married, it drove him nuts that I left the peanut butter knife in the sink. I like peanut butter and I like peanut butter on crackers and apples and stuff. And so sometimes if I'm in a hurry, the peanut butter knife gets left in the sink. Well, there's lots of times that that peanut butter knife actually makes it into the dishwasher, but you don't know all those times because you didn't see it. The only times you see are the few times that I was in a hurry and running out the door and left the peanut butter knife in the sink. And so then he's got this perception of, oh my gosh, you always leave the peanut butter knife in the sink. And I'm like, no, actually I don't. And I'm not doing this on purpose just to bug you. Now there are some personalities that would, mom, Um, but we don't want to do that either. We don't want to intentionally bug people. That's not a good thing. So 
it took some time for he and I to work out and for us to talk through. I'm not doing this on purpose. There's actually a lot of times when I do put it away because I do want to actually put it away. But we had to actually engage in those conversations in order to flesh it out and to get there. And we have to hang with each other, right? We, we have to keep the temperature down and in terms of the level of emotion. And so we want to start to tune ourselves into the feeling of the room and the space. So I have started, whether it's um, a friendship, whether it's an organization, whether it is um, maybe even a news source. So if it elicits or I can observe it actually trying to prompt emotions of fear, hopelessness, despair, worry, doubt, I'll go back to fear, that paralyzing, hopeless fear of there's never going to be a way out. There's never going to be a way for any of this stuff to get fixed. That's not God. God is a solution God. God comes in every single time into the human realm that we mess stuff up. A million times over, we mess stuff up even when we have the best intention. And he comes in and he says, I'll rescue you. Repent and return. All you have to do is repent and return to him. It is so simple that we don't hardly know what to do with it. We overcomplicate it. We make, oh, well, I got to clean myself up before. Nope, that's not what God says. He says, come. He says, come as you are. If you wait until you're cleaned up or if you wait until you're done desiring X, Y, Z, you won't ever come and then the doors will be shut. We cannot miss the invitation of the living God. He invites everyone, everyone. He is the only one I know that includes absolutely everyone. He does not say no to anyone. If they come with a genuine heart, with a genuine desire, to repent and return to him and to learn him and his ways, he says yes every time. Jesus says, I won't lose anybody who comes to me. Not one. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how much money is in your bank account. I don't care what you wear or don't wear. I don't care what you've done or not done. He says all are invited. And it is the enemy, the adversary, it's the flesh, it's kind of the human way to be secret, to exclude, to, oh no, I don't like them, or they, they've got not a good look about them, or they don't have the right job, they're not in the right club. That is not God. It is not God. God says all are invited. Here's the invitation. Accept the one I sent. Accept and receive Jesus of Nazareth, him and his ways, for he is the fulfillment of every single word written before he came. And all of those words in the, 
you can call it the Torah, you can call it the Old Testament, you can call it the, the, the prophets, the law and the prophets. Every single bit of that points to Jesus of Nazareth. And then he is the one who fulfilled it. He redeems all of mankind. He died the death that every one of us deserve because no matter how hard we try, we don't, we fall short. The gap between us and a perfect, eternal, invisible God is too big. He filled the gap for us. He conquered death. He rose again. There is nobody that has ever risen from the dead and had evidence of it, had witnesses to it, and then rose in their eyesight to heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty interceding for you and for me. The only one that we have any record of anything like that ever happening is from Jesus of Nazareth. And his invitation for you, for me, is come, those who are weary and heavy burdened. Come, put my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I recently heard in a sermon where he's giving us a new way to live life. He's not saying, oh, come, you don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. No. He says, come, let me show you a new way to do life. And so I have said yes to that a million times over throughout my life. It's not easy, so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not easy because guess what? I got a lot of wants. I've got a lot of desires. And now because of that, I got a lot of shoes. <laughs> And there's a certain point where that stuff becomes a burden. So everything out in the world, whether it's shoes or shopping, whether it's a job, whether it's, um, you know, wanting approval of a family member, a mother-in-law, a sister, um, a brother, whether, whatever it is, all of those things inside of ourselves promise, oh, if you just get this, you'll feel happy and satisfied. Oh, if you just get this, you'll feel complete and whole and happy and satisfied. The problem is that none of those things are actually designed to fulfill those holes inside of the human soul and emotions. They aren't designed to do that. There's only one that is designed to do that, and that's Jesus. And he is the only one that I have found that when I allow him to, because there has to be that. I have to allow him in and do the work that he does. He's the only one that I've found that I've found when I allow him in and really allow him to do his work. I feel peace. I feel satisfaction. I feel fulfillment. I feel hope. I feel an excitement about the future and not dread. He's the only one that I have found and I've searched them all. I've studied Islam. I've studied Judaism without Jesus. I've studied, um, to a certain extent, some of the um, 
the New Age and, and Buddhism. There's a lot of um, overlap between New Age and, and Buddhism. You know, I've studied secularism. You know, I've studied understanding knowledge. And the problem is, is that when you have knowledge apart from the Word of God and the wisdom of God, it's actually foolishness. I mean, I've experienced that a million times over because for my personality, I like I like knowledge. I like learning. I like reading. I like um, understanding things. But what you end up doing when you go down that route, and Paul talks a lot about this, is when you have knowledge apart from godly wisdom, you actually have foolishness to where you end up on, you know, you're trying to get to... Austin and you're on 45 and you're just pissed and you can't figure out you're hitting your head against the wall like why do I keep ending up in Houston but I'm so smart yet I'm in Houston like well maybe you're not as smart as you think you are because the road that takes you to Austin is 35 so there's that so anyway it's just it's such an interesting um thing to start to learn in your life and it brings such freedom and such hope. So my challenge for you today is to simply say yes to the invitation of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. Say yes to his invitation of you're enough. You are, I see you. You are beautiful just the way you are. I will show you a better way in every single way in your life. I will make you new. I will make you whole. And the only thing that is required is a humble heart before me that is willing to acknowledge and come into truth with me and be honest before me because I already know it. So if he already knows it, then what's the point? The point is you. The point is me being honest before him saying, I have screwed up and here is where I've screwed up. It's that honest, humble heart before him that that is where the gold is. That is where that healing light starts to really percolate and really start to move and loosen the hard, cracked, dry, thirsty ground of our souls. That's where he can really start to work. And totally, that is the beginning of him coming in and totally transforming our lives. I cannot even tell you how unbelievable it has been in my own life. And the things that he has taught me is incredible. And we'll get into some of this over, the, over time. Did you know that over our heads, Every single day, the Lord our God tells the gospel in the stars above our heads. There's a reason that people are drawn to horoscopes. There's a, Any good lie has a portion of the truth in it. That's what makes it believable. So the horoscope and, and the, the zodiac and all of that, there's an element to truth with it. However, it gets the order wrong. So that's how people end up getting it so wrong. Well, if you study the Hebrew Maseroth, you'll find 
that the gospel of the stars that is told over our heads every single day, it starts with Virgo the Virgin holding wheat, the seed of the Lamb of God. That's Mary containing and housing in her body the seed of David, the seed of the Most High Living God, fully man and fully God. From her egg and from God's seed, the virgin giving birth to the Lamb of God, to the Word of God. And then it goes through every single constellation, has the gospel told in it, and it ends at the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion and the lamb. That's one person, that's Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. He is humble. He humbled himself first, but he is coming again. And when he comes again, he is coming as a lion and he is coming with vengeance. And we don't want to be on the wrong side of that vengeance. I promise you. We have no words. We have no concept. We have no understanding of what the wrath of God is going to to be like and what it is like. It is power beyond what anybody can even remotely understand or put words to. It is power beyond what we have context for. We do not want to be on the wrong side of the wrath of God. And so he is faithful. He is generous. He is giving as much time as at all possible for every single human on the planet to say yes to his invitation. But he honors free will. He allows us to say no. And so if we continually over and over and over again say no to him, he lets us. He honors our choices. So let us not say no to him anymore. Let us say yes to him and walk in eternal life with the one true living God. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please consider sharing this and come back anytime. And I just want to bless you in your daily life and your family with eyes to see and ears to hear. And may a great thriving begin to rise up and take place in your world. In the name of Jesus, for the glory of God and for your joy.